one, the bus is back. Yes, Australia's most popular bus on which to discuss leadership failure is back in action and back on the road for season six. Once again, we'll be driving all over Australia, meeting some fantastic leaders who will share some painfully honest stories about their moments of failure and what they've learned. The blunderbuss has now been downloaded over 6,500 times, making it the world's most popular podcast about leadership failure recorded on a bus. You probably worked out by now that the magic secret when it comes to failure is the ability to reflect on mistakes and learn. And that's what I do in my work as a pastoral supervisor, which I do through my organisation, Generation Leadership. If you're looking for a pastoral supervisor to help you reflect on your work and ministry practice, I currently have some openings. So go to my website, generationleadership.com.au to find out more. I'd love to work with you and provide a safe place to reflect on what you are currently doing and what you can learn. So check it out. Today, the blunderbuss has driven to Tasmania, one of my favourite parts of Australia. And in fact, we've driven to Launceston. And I'm speaking to Tim O'Neill. Tim leads the A2A, that's the Acts 2 Alliance, a network of churches in Australia, and is the executive chair of Exponential Australia. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for coming on the bus. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ed, and thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, real pleased. Hey, um, tell us a little bit about Exponential. It hasn't existed in Australia for all that long, so tell us what Exponential does. Okay, well, first of all, if I look at the United States, Exponential has been there trying to stimulate church multiplication for 20 or so years, mm-hmm. and uh, Exponential is extremely well known for the annual conference that it has in Florida in March every year to which five to six thousand church leaders involved in multiplication will go to, as well as the resources uh, that it puts out weekly by way of ebooks, uh, podcasts, discussion, etc. online. Now, just over a year ago, in fact, about two years ago, we had the opportunity to commence uh, Exponential here in Australia. The reason for that is that we were very, very concerned. There was a bunch of us across different denominations and networks who are very, very concerned about the lack of church planting and multiplication happening in Australia. We subsequently got the NCLS to do uh, some work, and they they told us that only about 2% of Australian churches will multiply in any given year. Now, that's just not enough. That's only about 200 churches a year being planted around Australia. And when you consider that in the 20 years to 2011, the number of Protestant churches in Australia declined by 1,000, we realised that we have to do something. So with Exponential, we're a a ministry that wants to get alongside the denominations, networks and church planting ministries to cheer them on and to, in essence, be like a chamber of commerce for church planting, helping to provide uh, a healthy environment. And one last thing I'll say is that we have a 10-year vision of actually seeing the 2% of Australian churches reproducing in any given year are going to 10%, which would be 1,000 uh, churches a year being planted across our country of all different varieties, all different denominations and networks, all different styles. That's great, Tim. It's a really exciting vision. Exponential is a fantastic organisation. So you talk about you know Exponential's you know vision there around church planting and stuff. I know that you have been a church planter and you can't have been a church planter without making mistakes, it seems to me. So yeah. you want to share one with us today? Yes, certainly, certainly. It's uh, I think uh, mistakes are just so important in actually learning and, and being able to fail forward. Uh, one of the mistakes, if I can just give you a bit of a backdrop, but this is a very, very big mistake, and it nearly uh, resulted in the, the death of our young church plant. Mm. My wife and I planted a church in 1994 here in Launceston, and that's when I was 34. 
I was a business person at the time and uh, a chartered accountant, and, and uh, we had a pretty exciting business career in front of us. Um, but we had a, a horrendous year where between my wife and I, we knew seven people who suicide that year. And they were going off mm. to a crisis eternity. And so we, um, we, we went seeking uh, advice from a wise gentleman uh, with international experience who'd come to Launceston. And he wanted to know if we'd ever considered planting a church. And so we went on a, a journey. We we're excited by this. We went on a journey of, of, of planting a church to reach the unchurched. Now, over that time, uh, as we started doing that, we saw people who would ne never normally come into a church coming to faith and growing in their faith and being set free from a, a whole bunch of addictions and other mm. dependencies. Mm. Now, at this time, I was bivocational, and I hadn't been to Bible college. So that was a, a bit of a challenge in the sense that uh, I, I always thought there were people who were more equipped and better than me to do a job like this. Mm. Uh, in fact, as we were planting the church, we were still looking for the person who would become the pastor of the church. Right. 28 years later, that's still me. Um, but, <laughs> you're, you're still looking. <laughs> I'm still looking and I think I might have found someone, which is really great. But, but five years after we planted a church, we, we later employed a, a pastor who had been pastoring for 20 years or so. And he brought a different culture to the church. And for the first time, transfer growth was attracted into the church. Now, sadly, we ended up with a church divided and two cultures that resulted in a split occurring that nearly, nearly killed the young church. I think, I think when I look back at this, I saw that the, probably the biggest mistake that I made was actually um, looking at my own inadequacy. And, and when we read Exodus chapter 3, when Moses turned aside to the burning bush, and God called Moses. Moses then in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 had about four reasons why he wasn't up mm. to the task. Yeah. But <laughs> God kept on, on saying, Moses, it's not about you, it's about me. Yeah. And uh, so instead of pointing at Moses' insufficiency, it was actually looking at God's sufficiency. And I was in a Moses state where I was actually looking at what I didn't have rather than the fact that just perhaps God actually might have called me uh, to do this. Well, that's really interesting, Tim, that, that whole thing about leadership inadequacy. Personally, feel very, I resonate with that enormously in my church planting journey. I, I certainly had moments of, of, of feeling exactly like that, that, you know, there should be someone out there who actually knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think part of the thing is that God wants to take us on a journey of growth where we actually learn right. rather, rather than growing and learning before we start that journey. Yeah. Okay, so you said that you know the issue was um, this gentleman came and brought a different culture. What what's culture? Why is it important? What's the big deal about culture? I think uh, forming culture is probably one of the primary and hardest tasks of leadership, and it doesn't happen overnight. But we found that two cultures were in the church. On one hand, we had uh, the people who would literally smoke outside the church because that was the world that they'd come from. And on the other hand, we would find that there, people, there were people coming into the church who were looking after a more contemporary worship experience and they would probably look down the, nose, the noses of the people who had come out of addiction, alcoholism, prostitution, a whole range of areas yeah, right. uh, who are currently in the church. And so it's a bit like how when you have uh, in a river, you have um, near the, the source, you have uh, salt water, but further upstream you have fresh water. 
Yeah. And yeah. you have you have it that uh, some fish can survive in the salt water, but some uh, some find the homes in the fresh water. We we're ending up having the two different uh, cultures in our church, and it was just starting to to create a barrier, uh, which was very very unhealthy. And ultimately, that that barrier you would say ended up in a le- leadership challenge, where the people who had come into the church were probably after a safer environment uh, and safer preaching. Now, for myself, I'm an exhorter, and so I'll always be encouraging people to to go that extra step. I'll be challenging them to make decisions. I'll be challenging them to grow. Uh, But the other gentleman that we had uh, that we'd employed as a pastor, his preaching was much more along the lines of comfort. Okay. And so, again, there was a tension that was arising there. And I assume, Tim, this happened in such a way that it wasn't possible for these two things. It's like your saltwater, freshwater illustration. This couldn't happen or didn't happen in such a way that both could coexist helpfully and meaningfully. It was it, That wasn't possible? No, I, I think you're right there. But I think part of it is that we can look back with the uh, clarity of hindsight. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> with a, uh, the, I have a prophetic gift of hindsight, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's a spiritual gift. I like that. I like that. I can see the blunders that I've done in the past very, very <laughs> The rearview mirror, the blunder bus rearview mirror. I That's like right. That. But I think a lot of the, the division that was actually happening was happening not in a spoken way, not in a visible way, but it was happening almost in people's hearts. It was under the under the surface. And I think when division happens, it often happens because of values and culture rather than yes. to actually articulate as being different. And so uh, those values, to- that word is what struck me when you were speaking before, you know, that you had, you know, two groups of people who valued something very highly but different to each other. That's right. And I think with values, our values have to be felt, not just uh, articulated. Uh, someone can come into the church and I can explain what the vision statement is and they can generally grasp it. But with the value statements, it's not until you actually find a bit of a rub taking place uh, that you actually realise that those values mightn't be your core values because most values that we talk about will be acceptable to most people. They're a bit motherhood mostly, aren't they? In my world, you know, coming out of an evangelical world, most people are going to have something on their vision statement about, you know, the Bible, which always strikes me is not actually a value, it's a book, Uh, or evangelism, which strikes me is not a value but an activity. Um, like we have these words, but like as you say, they have to be enfleshed, lived out before you get to see them. That's right. That's right. And so if we had evangelism as a value, as a core value, for example, I'd be expecting that everyone in the church would actually be engaged in evangelism, not just yes. clapping their hands at having <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Not wanting you to just do all of that. Yeah. yeah. And you might you might be interested to know some years later. I actually did a message uh, where I started off t- uh, mentioning 10 reasons why my wife and I should never have gotten married. And, uh, <laughs> Hope you spoke to Sharon about this before. <laughs> I may have. <laughs> She's still not. spoken to me about it, actually, but <laughs> about anything. But my point was about the fact that um, one, one of the things that I hate is when someone transfers into the church and thankful, thankfully, this doesn't happen uh, very frequently at all now. And they say, oh, this is much better than blah, 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 the church I used to go to. 
And it's a bit like when, when a couple is attracted, the, the boy and the girl are attracted to each other before they learn each, or learn about each other's faults. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, there has to be a common ground of belief and understanding and values for a couple to actually go ahead mm. and to, uh, to, to come together in a way that's sustainable long term. Otherwise, there'll be, unrecon- uh, there'll be irreconcilable differences which will cause the split. Now, and what I find in a church situation is the same, where uh, you might be attracted by, to what's different, but then six months down the mm. line, you might be saying, back at my old church, they did it this way, as if that, that yes. way was better. Yes. And there was part of them that actually hadn't left uh, the old church. Uh, there were some things that they didn't like there, but some things that they hadn't adjusted to. Mm. And so... It's almost like we have to go through this this period of time. And I think that when people come to a church, there's probably about nine months that people actually have to actually uh, adopt the values of that church and and come in uh, and adopt the common beliefs and understandings, not just the the state of doctrine, but the the beliefs about how that church goes, if they are to actually really find their home in that particular church. Coming back to my wife and I, I came from a business background. She came from a missionary background. So I, I went over these differences in our background, right. which we actually had to come to grips with before we could actually go ahead as a couple. What strikes me about you know the things that you're saying, which are incredibly important, is that values and culture are at the same time extraordinarily important and really hard to nail down. Yes. So how did you... Did you find a successful way of communicating around vision, uh, not vision, around values and culture? Uh, I think the most successful way is actually ensuring that your vision, sorry, your values and your culture are actually strong. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, I read a book quite some years ago which talked about, and it was called Built to Last by uh, Jim Collins and mm-hmm. Jeremy Porus, where it talked about the strength of culture when you have a strong culture. Uh, it's not so much about uh, people um, uh, being able to articulate even the culture, but it's about uh, people coming, they tangibly feel the culture and the, the culture will therefore be either attracting or repelling. Now, if I can just mention um, A2A for a moment, the, mm. the uh, movement of churches that I lead, we've just had our national conference where we've just looked at what we call our six cultural distinctives. And so we we have, we have articulated those cultural distinctives, which we do in different ways at different times, but we have a whole conference around it because we actually want to grow in relation to these cultural distinctives so that we as a movement of churches are very, very strong. So people can... Uh, self-select if they want to join us or not, Mm. if they want to stay in us or not, because this is who we are and this is what we stand for. Mm. Okay, that's great. Tim, final question for you. Uh, What have you learnt about leadership failure? Apart from the fact that it's inevitable, you need to be transparent about it and say, hey, I stuffed up because it's... um, I think one of the biggest shames is that if we don't accept responsibility for our own failures, we actually don't grow through it and we find victims to blame for it. Yeah. Now, uh, in in any failure that we have, there might be other parties that are also contributing to the failure, but we have to to own up to uh, the part that we played and take responsibility and say, hey, I did that, I was wrong. 
Mm. And uh, <laughs> we can't have a lot invested in being right all the time. Otherwise, we just get stuck and we, we develop a veneer of ourselves, which is not the person God wants us to be. Thanks to Tim O'Neill for sharing about his leadership journey and what he has learned. And thanks to you for being part of the Blunderbuss journey. I'd love it if you would subscribe and rate the Blunderbuss. It actually helps more people to know about this podcast. Go to our website at www.generationleadership.com.au to find out more about pastoral supervision. And we'll see you next time on the Blunderbuss. Bus.